Hi, Paul, everyone. Welcome. Um, my name is Kishore Chandra, and we're going live uh, 6 p.m. for Chit Chat. And this is a place where we come and we speak very candidly and honestly about Chit, which is a Sanskrit word for spiritual knowledge. And we also talk about other types of Chit. You know, sometimes it gets a little funny, sometimes it gets a little serious, um, like this. So, lots of fun things here on Chit Chat with myself and Jai Jagannath Prabhu, who just... Now come on. So, welcome Geneva, Hari Hari Bol, welcome Ananda. <laughs> What's so funny? It just sounds like you're in an airplane. Uh, um... <laughs> Okay, I'm going to turn off this thing here. Wait, Justin, are you still there? Okay, sorry. Does it sound better? I was sitting right behind a fan, in front of a fan. Well, that's why. Is it that hot over there? No, it's hot. It's been hot today. Yeah? But, um, yeah. Is that better? Yeah, it's better. It's better. It's fine. Okay. Anyway. Um, hi. Hello. <laughs> Harry Bull. Your screen is looking a little pixelated, so you might be having a little trouble with the connection. Just putting it out there. Wow. Well, I see you just fine. I think everyone can hear us. If I can hear you, then it's fine. So we kind of appeared to open up a can of worms yesterday with the whole sacrifice and love thing. Um, yes, there could be some, uh, some lag is there. There seems to be some discomfort around the word sacrifice. Mm. So I thought that yeah. might be a good place to start. Yeah, and I think that the biggest discomfort or resistance that was coming up around the word sacrifice is maybe sacrifice, from what I remember what was in the comments, it was like this idea that sacrifice was the exact it's like the refusal of something or like the the complete and utter removal of something and i remember a lot of the language being used like it's it's in it's an opposite fields as love because you know love is love was over here sacrifice is over here they're very different things and i remember you trying to say like actually no like it's kind of in the same domain but yeah definitely some resistance there which i thought was interesting so yes, good good place to start. The word for sacrifice that we hear in the Gita, there might be several words, but the one that I'm most familiar with is yajna. Yeah. Um, to be honest with you, yajna has very distinct meanings, which I don't remember, and I should have probably reviewed before I got on today's <laughs> chit chat. There are like very specific intentions by the word yajna in, in Sanskrit language, but um one of the meanings and the meanings that i think reflects the english or the etymology of the word english word sacrifice is the idea of offering sometimes i've seen the word yagya translated as offering yeah because you hear about sacrifice to the devas sacrifice to the forefathers sacrifice to is you know it's like this notion of sacrifice to something yeah um, which is very different from the like 
kind of allegation that you just spoke of, but a sort yeah. of offering to a deity that is worthy of our supplication mm. uh, or a, a good like in the in Vedic culture if you are a materialistic person then it was considered compulsory for you to do the the five great sacrifices so there were sacrifices to the devas who are like the personified deities of the forces of nature that we depend on for our existence there were sacrifices mm. to the forefathers from whom we inherit our traditions that has sustained society. And we also inherit our actual gross physical bodies, you know, from a particular, what do they call it? Like family, generational trauma. I, I don't know why that works. <laughs> <laughs> but it's somebody like, like new agey spirituality. They're always talking about like overcoming generational trauma. <laughs> anyway, there's like, <laughs> you know, that's one side of the issue. The other side is like you and whatever prosperity you're able to enjoy, you've inherited that. So that comes from the previous forefathers and your, your actual gross physical body. So there's an offering to them. There's an offering to the, the rishis. So the rishis give you the wisdom that you require to navigate the world in a skillful way. Um, people, this is a sidebar, but people often like, uh, well, in India especially, you'll see that we always glorify the sages, but they said, but our scientists, they are so intelligent. So if the sages were intelligent, why didn't they create technology like our modern scientists? Sometimes someone may argue in this way. And our mm. answer to that is because the sages had, how do you say that word? Sagacity? Sagacity. 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 I think it's sagacity. It's not sagacity. That's <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> sagacity. No, Sagac it's sag sagacity doesn't sound much better. <laughs> like sage, sagacity. I can see. No, how can I think it. I think it's sagacity. I'm gonna look it up. All right, mm -hmm. we have to look yes. at the pronunciation. Anyway, so the sages they have sagacity, sagacity. in them. They have okay, sagacity. The, is that what it said? I couldn't hear. It. Yeah. Okay. That means like wisdom, basically. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So the reason the sages didn't create technologies like they did today is because they had sagacity in them. And you may be intelligent to create something, but you don't have the foresight to see the problems that it will cause. Whereas the sages did, so they never created things like that. Anyway, so the sages, rishis, they gave the knowledge by which you can navigate the world skillfully and ultimately obtain shreyas, which means the ultimate benefit for the human soul or the yes. human body, I should say, rather. So that's three. The fourth one was uh, a sacrifice to other humans by which you can exist. I often I like to give the example of the garbage man in this dirty city like New York. If they weren't there, the already insufferably dirty city would be all the more insufferable. And so we, re we required them. We required like, um, God, why can't I? I could think of a big word like sagacity, but I can't, a plumber. <laughs> I can't think of the word plumber. Uh, so you require like all these other humans to exist in the society in, a, um, in an easier way. They make our existence easier. So there's offerings to them. And then the fifth yes. one was offering to other living entities like bees and other species of life on whom you depend. So if you were a materialistic person, it was considered absolutely compulsory that you perform minimum these five 
sacrifices they're called, or yagyas, and the word sacrifice here is translated as offering. So you, the, and again, I, this word offering may fit the etymological meaning of the word sacrifice hmm. more than it, it, it kind of fits its conventional meaning that we seem to get triggered by. By saying that the, the etymology of the word sacrifice we mentioned yesterday means to make whole. Yeah. So you're taking from some other entity. And so you have to give back in order to make it whole. Yes. Otherwise, yeah. it becomes an unholy encounter. Right? Mm. You take something and you don't give back. Like I, you know, I think of the dating culture where yes. both parties mutually take and they don't really necessarily give back. They're just, yes. they're just taking something. Yes. Of course, you know, if you hook up, they'll say, well, I'm giving something. That's another topic. We'll just leave that. <laughs> but, you know, the whole idea is to take and, and, and not to give back. So it becomes an unholy interaction when you take and don't give back. And in the modern materialistic world, because they don't have a sense of the need for these offerings to, you know, the, the, the deities of nature, don't just be taking from nature without giving back or other living entities or other humans, the forefathers... Um, the rishis, then uh, it becomes an unholy relationship, mm. which is natural. And yeah. so we see the world falling apart. Well, it falls apart because of the unholy relationship that entities have had with each other for decades, mm. not decades, generations, maybe you can say even centuries. And so mm. the need, there's a need for sacrifice to maintain um, yeah, the prosperity of the world that we know. Mm. So very different take on just that word, yagya or sacrifice. I got more to say on it, but I'm gonna stop. Yeah, I was I was also thinking about that about the what is it the seventh chapter of Bhagavad Gita that is speaking about yagya a lot, and uh, um, I was also no. thinking about, oh no, what is I don't it? think the it's the seventh chapter. It's the fifth. It's the fourth. Oh God. The the fifth act, the fifth chapter mentions it in one verse, but you know, you you get a point for that also. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> chapter three and chapter four spend a lot. Yeah, I remember when I was speaking about this in a Bhagavad Gita group. It was so interesting. I was speaking. Who was I speaking with? Who was I speaking with about this? Yesterday, I went. This is a different topic, but yesterday I went to uh, the Bhakti house over here. Okay. And it was so nice to just, like, be with devotees and be in kirtan and, like, oh, God. I, I can talk about that experience later, but it was so nice. And, um, you know, there wasn't that much social distancing. Sorry about it. Uh, anyway, different topic. But I was talking about with, uh, the, the senior who runs the house. Her and I were speaking um, specifically about like preaching to Hispanic people or preaching to Latino people, or you can generalize it, people who are already comfortable with a, with a personal idea of God, like God being a person. Right. And, I and I was speaking to her about it. I said, what, in the Bhakti Center, we did a Bhagavad Gita group uh, in Spanish for the first time. It was me and another devotee at the Bhakti Center. And it was like these, it was like, us two and like seven or eight like older women and it was so refreshing actually because when we got to this point about like 
Krishna is a person and God is a person and like this, having a personal relationship. It was, it was like, t- it, there was no resistance at all because that was kind of already ingrained in them due to their um, cultural upbringing, not even just religious upbringing, but cultural upbringing. Um, because even in the, if anything, kind of like the Christian religion has taken away that like giving back to nature, giving back to the deities of all the different nature, but in all the kind of like indigenous cultures, which, you know, they're still present in some sort of way here in South America, Latin America, it was very much about that, you know, like mother nature, Pachamama, there's this word. Anyway, we don't need to get into that. But I remember it was so refreshing. And when we were speaking specifically about this point of sacrifice, they like love this point. Like we were just like we were just like on this point for days. Like we were supposed to finish these chapters like this, and we were just on these points because they they wanted to keep on talking about, you know, how much you need to give to really receive, and how much you have to really be grateful for in this world because you know we're always taking and taking from nature, and you know what is it that we're really giving back. And we were like two weeks on this, on these, on this section of sacrifice. They were like having a ball with this whole thing. And, yeah. you know, I was, I was also thinking, and, and I was thinking about that in, in contrast to a westernized, secularized society where very much the, uh, what's it called? The, the product that we are buying or that we are receiving, whether it be a, you know, a food stuff product or a material product or, whatever, even like dating now has been, you know, um, automated like this. The product has very much been divorced from the source of where it comes from. And uh, so not only has the product become divorced from the source of where it comes from, but me participating in that kind of exchange, I've also divorced myself from, you know, ultimate source, from Krishna. And so really... You know, we brought this up in Chit Chat before. So really, I'm just uh, kind of allowing myself to exploit and be exploited, you know, mm. to just engage myself with a, a product or the image of the product, the appearance of the product. And I'm also behaving in that way. So then I think that in that sort of scenario, something like sacrifice to make something whole or to make something holy, I feel like the word holy is triggering for people in the oh, West. Absolutely. Or like or like the word pure can be triggering or the word like, you know, sanctity or like whatever. Like you mentioned these things and people are just like, oh, you know, oh like that. But, and it's really interesting to I, I'm I'm gonna stop now because I feel like I can I'm ranting a little bit, but it's really interesting to see how the more apart or divorced I am from where things come from, whether that be like a material thing like nature or a spiritual thing like God and the soul, then the more that I am susceptible to not having a relationship with that and therefore becoming mm. very, very triggered by when someone says holy or when someone says Well, yeah, the, the, sense of, the sense of obligation. Yes. Because when you use any of these words, it conveys a sense of obligation. Obligation to whom? Well, to uh, using your language to the source of things. Yes. You know, you have an obligation to the maker of the product, for example, or an obligation to God. So the more we're divorced from the sense of our source, then what happens is this sort of mentality that I don't owe anyone anything. Mm. Like, yeah, yeah, you, I, I, yeah, I do, I do feel like in, in individualistic cultures, like 
you know, those of the West versus social centric cultures. <laughs> a word I picked up about a week ago. Um, social centric means where you think about where the, the needs of the group are more important than the needs of the individual. Yeah. Or I wouldn't say more important, but the needs of the group are given more priority yeah. or greater importance than the needs of the individual. So you have like a culture like India, the Vedic culture may be defined as a social centric culture. Yeah. Uh, China, so modern China, day. Yeah. yeah. So and more social centric cultures, there's a sense of IO, you know, an obligation. And in the more individualistic cultures, it appears to be less of that sense because things are divorced from their source. Yeah. And so, like, for example, if you see, like, a quilt, you know, uh, there's versus, like, a factory-made blanket. Yeah. Right? When I was going out, I could get my, I was, I could get my ass whooped if I, like, <laughs> messed up the quilt. Because it, it was like all this hard, it, because there was a sense of its connection to the source. Yeah. It was coming from, an, you know, in some aborigine in a particular place. It was hand woven. And so I had a greater responsibility in dealing with that particular product because mm. of the sense of a personal connection to mm. the maker of the product. That's just to mm. give a sort of crude example of something I've actually experienced also. You know, don't treat that particular thing like because it was handcrafted and mm. or even if you think even in more simplistic terms, money as a sort of sacrifice also in the modern industrial world, because the principle of yagya must go on in any world. Mm. So in the modern industrial world, the money becomes the currency that is used for expressing yagya. Mm. So this product is there and you must give some sacrifice. That's money. And for things that were like hand woven, is that how you yeah. say it? Woven? I was um, about to say hand weaved. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. When people of color are in their natural element. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay, sorry, y'all. Um, oh, God. You know what I was thinking of? I was really laughing when you were speaking and saying sagacious. <laughs> I was thinking like all the times in chit chat where we like mess up words and mess up grammar. I wish we had someone with like, you know, those buttons on the radio that are just like, eh, like, eh. <laughs> call it. Eh. Yeah. Call okay. It so when you, when you think of money as this sort of currency for, it's a literally an expression of yagya. So when something's like hand weaved, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't resist. When something is hand woven, I think is the right way, the right tense there. Um, then you have to pay more money for it precisely because there's a sense of greater labor that was put into it. Mm. And so a greater level of sacrifice has to be made because of it. Yes. And in individualistic cultures, we there seems to be less of an awareness of the different parties that play that allow for your prosperous existence and the less you're aware of the different parties at play that allow for your prosperous existence the mm. less you will be into the idea of having to make an offering to someone yeah like if i don't know like for example if you're benefiting me in some very critical way but i don't have awareness of that and then all of a sudden you come out and say you owe me something you have to give back then i'm like well who are you yeah. why do i owe you anything 
So in the individualistic culture, they aren't aware in the ways they're able to be prosperous. For you know, let's for example, all the products that we like to use, we don't know what the source sources are. In fact, if we had a greater awareness of their origins, we might be mm, in a state of um, difficulty because of knowing exactly how things are being made and who's involved in the whole process. And certainly, at the bare minimum, there would be a sense of I, wow, I'm benefiting so much from this particular thing and so much suffering has gone into me having this thing. Mm. And therefore, there's a sense of like, I need to use this responsibly. Uh, for, like something as simple as that, like I need to use this particular object responsibly because so much suffering has gone into it. Mm. And if I don't use it responsibly, it's a spit in the face yeah. of those who have suffered to bring me this particular object. I'm not going into details because I'm not trying to make us feel bad, but you know what I'm saying. Like when it comes to modern technology and so on, there's a lot of suffering that certain individuals have to go through so we can have these things. And because we have no sense of obligation to those persons and their suffering, then we have no sense of needing to even use something responsibly, yeah. for example, which itself would be a type of yagya. Yeah. Because, oh, I'm aware of this, now I have to use this responsibly. That responsible use is itself a type of offering of sorts. And I think it becomes super difficult because, you know, you brought this up many times and you've qualified it via verses in the Bhagavatam that at the end of the day, even though we might not like to admit it or not, you know, we might not, yeah, we might not like to admit it. At the end of the day, the person who is most important to us is us. The person who's most important to us is us because I'm including myself in this. I know Amazon is evil. I know it treats its workers really badly. I know that like, whatever, all these billionaire trillionaires are like amassing all. I know that Apple is evil and treats its workers and like China and India, all of this stuff, Foxconn, blah, 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 blah. Like we are probably the most well-informed, uh, over-informed society. Uh, yeah, because we have the internet and like this, however, None of us are stopping to use these things, you know, or none of us are making a real effort to say, I'm not going to use this, or rather, we're not even thinking about it. And it becomes very difficult then to even approach the matter when it's become so, what's the word I'm looking for, kind of like ingrained in our, in our society, specifically in like Western society, because something that I think is super interesting when you do go to countries like China, or when you go to countries like India, you really see the battle of individualistic, westernized, capitalized, tech, technology, society versus like, maybe not it's a battle, but you see the juxtaposition versus like traditional, you know, old, uh, so what was the word socio that you used this fancy word? Centric. Sociocentric. 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 Yeah. yeah Social centric society. Like you really see it juxtaposed. You see it um, here as well in Latin America in terms that like what I'm speaking about is when you go to India or China, I'm thinking of these two as a specific example. You see kind of people in a higher echelon of society in terms of money that are very much either trying to or they are living a westernized, individualized, secular lifestyle, you know, and that's what they're doing. And that's just and they they're kind of doing that. And like this. And then the majority of the people are not doing that. The majority of the people are like in the old, in the villages, in the small towns, and they're, they're like this, and they're kind of left behind. And you really see 
the difference, you know? Whereas in the United States, it's, it's kind of hard to see the opposite side because it almost doesn't exist anymore, you know? I, I mean, please correct me if I'm wrong, anyone who's watching, but I feel like it almost doesn't exist anymore. And maybe it only exists in like a hyper, what's the word I'm looking for? Hyper dramatized kind of way where it's like, we understand the idea of it. And so like in perhaps a political struggle, like what's been going on in the past, you know, three, four months, there's the idea of it. It should be like this, or we should, you know, care for like, but there's no real lived example of that in the United States, just because it's become so ingrained, you know, it's become so ingrained where the, the value of something has become divorced from, from the source of it. So I, I'm Nuts. always looking for the cheaper, the cheaper bargain. I'm always looking for the sale. I don't care who got hurt. I don't care who this, I don't, I don't care about anything. What is the lowest price point and like this. And you know something that's also, okay, this is the last thing that I'll say. Lived experience, folks. I'm here in Ecuador, I just bought a car and like my mom has, you know, houses and everything, whatever. We've kind of like, I've tried to stop myself from complaining about it and rather be more like, not introspective, curious, like, oh, it's so interesting that this is how things work over here. But it's interesting because when things are connected to the source, I mean, it takes more work, like you were mentioning. It takes more work. You have to pay more for it. You really value what goes into it. So anyway, we're buying this car and, like, whatever my mom has. Here it's a lot of, like, okay, now you take this paper and you go to this office because that office is the one that deals with this. And then you have to take that and notarize by this person and you have to go to the municipality and then from the municipality, you have to do this and you have to go over there and talk to, and everything is like very direct, like in the sense of like, I have to directly talk to every person and party involved in this transaction. Mm. And me and my mom were like, you know, in the, we were being like such Americans. We were just like, you know, in the United States, this happens immediately. Like we didn't, we didn't say it like that, but we were just like in the United States, it's immediate. Like you just, you put the card in, you get the money, you get my car and done. They're like, no, it's not like that here. You have to do this and you have to talk to this and like this and whatever. And it's so yes. interesting that just in the, the daily transactions that I go through, we, if we really kind of start to dissect them, we see how much we are kind of, uh, what's that word, teetering on that line of, um, I don't know, indifference or being being divided from the source of where things come from, both on a material sense and on a spiritual sense. Yeah, I, hearing your, what you just said and your ex personal experience and the topic we're bringing up, you can just see the principle of Yagya is so much stronger precisely because things are so much more personal. So you can't just like spit in someone's face directly. There's a certain, you know, because you're, you're looking right at them, they're looking right at you. And so yeah. the principle of offering becomes all the more obvious. Yes. And, and so taking it maybe more in the metaphysical realm, the more impersonal the metaphysics of a culture becomes, the less they'll be inclined to the principle of offering. Mm. You know, and I think in the post, the enlightened period, in the post-enlightened period that our world is, um, the Western world particularly, is purportedly to be coming from, where science became like the dominating, dominating voice, science above religion. Mm. And along with the dominance of science over the centuries, the depersonalization of matter 
you know, with religion, it was like, okay, God created everything. And as science voice became more prominent, then it just depersonalized everything. Mm. This, this isn't God's nature. It doesn't belong to anyone. It's just there to be exploited or yeah. and dissected and measured and, and experimented upon and so on. And so, as, yeah, so the post-enlightened voice is one that, in which the principle of offering becomes more and more destroyed mm. precisely because it's impersonal. You know, you know, offering is always, when there's offering, there's the object making the offering and the supplicant, like the person mm. who's making the offering. Mm. And so if there is no ultimate person to bow before, so to speak, or to whom we owe, then, yeah, then why would the principal offering be there whatsoever? And so, mm. yeah, just coming back to the original discussion well, or point, how offering is part of love. Mm. Yagya, which we generally translate as sacrifice, is really in a domain of love because and in love, especially the non-dual love that is bhakti yoga, you're offering everything. All of your mind, all of your intellect, your ego, all of your senses, your body, your very soul is being offered to the Supreme Lord, mm. to whom it ultimately belongs. And so, in love of God, you have the greatest sacrifice made. Because mm. taking it back down to this, these five great offerings of the Vedic culture, which I said was compulsory for the materialistic person. So the materialistic person, they have their own desires. So they may be making this offering, that offering, this offering, because they realize, like, my prosperous existence depends on so many factors. And so if I want to enjoy, which is my ultimate objective, I'm depending on x y and z person therefore i'm going to make the necessary offerings to these persons that allow for me to enjoy so i still have my separate existence and my separate desires that i'm trying that i'm striving for in order to enjoy ultimately but yes. in the offering of love there is no separate desire there is no separate existence you exist only for the object of love so mm. all that sense of separateness which generates or which uh, catalyzes the separate the separate direction of the senses right this actually this word is it's a technical word the, the word is actually protect bhava mm. which means the bhava means like the the sense of being separate so that goes against vedanta we're not really separate from the absolute reality but we feel that we are separate so once you have that feeling then you have separate desires and once you have separate desires, your senses are going to move in a, another direction, away from the beloved. Mm. So when you come to the awareness that actually everything comes from the beloved, everything is meant for the beloved, then you have to make the ultimate sacrifice or offering of everything to that beloved. And that's the only relationship that is truly holy, another triggering word for the Western mind, mm. a holy in the sense of completion or whole. Mm. And to the degree, and this is what the Bhakti Yoga tradition, we, one of our major talking points, to the degree that you have this Pratak Bhava, this separate eye sense, to that degree, you will engage in the world in an unholy way. Mm. So you, because you require offering to live, so you'll continue the various offerings. Okay, I want this thing, I give this amount of money. That's an offering, that's a yagya. 
But that sort of offering doesn't make you feel complete because there's still so much unholiness in the transaction. And for, first of all, it is a transaction, so you don't really care about the person or the people involved in their sacrifices mm. and their suffering. And, um, and, it's ultimate, and it's based on separate desires that you're trying to achieve for yourself. So you make the mm. offering, but not for the person to whom your money is going, for example, but it is ultimately for yourself. So therefore you feel incomplete and that incompletion is what is the suffering of the soul. So you can have all the wealth in the world, you can, which is what, you know, I guess Bezos and all these other billionaires are going for. But ultimately because their engagement is an unholy one, mm. therefore they, they suffer. Whereas in the offering of pure bhakti yoga, you offer everything to the Supreme Lord. And in that way, you experience completion, mm. the, the ultimate holy relationship. Mm. And for such an experience, there is no more suffering for that soul. Yes. So in this way, for this reason, we are arguing for yagya being actually part of the domain of love. Actually, it is only persons who love who can actually make the greatest sacrifices, like the gopis mm. we were mentioning yesterday. Yeah. And, and, and for the rest of us that don't really love, you know, like that, then we can only make the sacrifices that benefit us. And so we have these like very measured offerings that we do. So I'm trying to think of like hookup culture, for example. You know, you might want to hook up with someone. So you say, okay, we'll go on a date. I'll do the offering of paying for the meal and buying the movie tickets and whatever else I got to do. But finally, I just want to, you know, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna talk dirty. I'm trying to get get that thing. That thing. I'm thinking Lauren Hill. That thing. Thing. <laughs> so you 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 get that thing, and then you like okay, finish. Because the offerings that were made were only for your self satisfaction, mm. and it was not for the object of love. So only. So I. So then we can say that sacrifice really truly exists only in the realm of love. Mm. And outside the realm of love, it is not actually sacrifice whatsoever. It is just action for one's own self. And it mm. looks like offering for the other person. But you don't give a damn as long as you get that thing that you want. It can be anything. Mm -hmm. I think this is a really wonderful talking point that we can probably continue into tomorrow. Because I remember when we were speaking in the comments yesterday, I think it was the... I can't remember his Instagram handle, or, or her, I don't know if it was a man or a woman. Um, but one of the things they were saying was like, isn't, you know, if the ultimate, uh, if the ultimate, you know, goal of life is to enjoy and like this, and why shouldn't we enjoy and like this? And uh, I remember you saying something along the lines of like, yeah, you know, that makes, the ultimate goal of life is, is to offer that sense of enjoyment and spiritualize it and offer it as, you know, a devotional act towards Krishna. However, that is on a whole nother level, which, you know, you know, to be frankly honest, a lot of us aren't on. I'm not on that level, you know, where I'm, I'm right. totally pure. I can offer myself and all of my love to Krishna. Like, I binge watched three episodes of something on Netflix yesterday. You know, like, let's be real. That was not an offering to Krishna. No, was, <laughs> like, let's be real. <laughs> right. And so it's like, 
but I think that at the same time, maybe the topic that we can go into tomorrow is how sacrifice really does exist on, in the realm of love and how that love is really reciprocated. Because, you know, the famous verse in Bhagavad Gita, um, Patram Pushpam Falam Toyam Yome Bhaktiya Prayachati, right? That if one offers me with devotion um, a leaf, a flower, water, I will accept a fruit, right? I will accept it. It's like Krishna's dank, you know? It's like I'm, I'm, even though I'm living in a materialistic kind of situation, you know, all of us, even though in the majority of my situations throughout the day, my interactions throughout the day, I'm doing this type of sacrifice, which you're speaking about, which like, what am I going to get out of this? Right. Even, though the, even though that's the case, if I can at least reserve a few moments for Krishna where I'm really, really, and that's where the sadhana comes in. You know, I'm really trying to put that stuff aside where like, this is not for me. You know, this is not for me to get something. This is not a prosperity gospel. This is not saying, Krishna, give me the Mercedes Benz. No, I'm offering you this flower. I'm offering you you know, whatever it is that I'm offering this, this boga like this with all my devotion for you. And that's really where the personalization, uh, the, per the personality and that relationship comes into play. And, uh, you know, it's really, maybe we can speak on this more tomorrow of that relationship, really that sambanda, like we've brought up this word a lot, uh, that we're starting to develop with Krishna becomes you know, the more and more we do just a little day by day, it becomes more and more deep. And the less and less I do, the more and more I become divorced from, yeah. from everything. I really appreciated today's um, how things came out, um, mm. kind of clarified in some ways um, this topic for me. Um, so, yeah, that's, we can continue. I, uh, Madhava Puri's question is coming up, and maybe we could take it from there tomorrow. I'm going to screenshot yeah. it. The, and I'll uh, try to remember to, yeah. You know, there's, because we brought up the relationship between a personal understanding of a personal metaphysics and and the offering concept, yagya. Mm. Like the word yagya exists precisely within the context of a personal metaphysics. Mm. And the more impersonal or depersonalized your metaphysics become, the more the principle of offering also becomes destroyed by that. So they, there seems to be a relationship there between, yeah, a personal metaphysics and ultimately for bhakti yoga, a personal deity and the principle of offering. That needs yeah. to be explored. And a Madhava Puri's question is bringing up that relation. That offering, okay, offering unto whom? And there's a really cool section from the Bhagavatam that comes up in the second chapter of the second canto. So, and we can kick it off from there tomorrow where it wants to generally as we mentioned the so-called offering um that materialistic souls make is to the body actually that is the deity to mm. whom all their offerings are actually to for whom all their offerings are actually meant mm. and so we were bringing that up whether i'm giving money to this business owner or I'm buying the tickets for the day. Ultimately, whatever offerings or sacrifices I'm making is for the pleasure of the material body. Mm. Because at the present moment, we're identified with the body. So there's this really cool section in the Bhagavad, second canto, chapter two, uh, where it was just says, this is not the proper deity um, for offering. The proper mm. deity is actually Bhagavan. And it gives all these reasons why Bhagavan is the proper 
object of uh, sacrifice or the one to whom we should really be making our offerings and not to mm. this material body, which mm. is where we're presently doing. And when, when I say body, that means the mind also, the subtle body. So mm. I think this is actually a really cool, fantastic topic. I really actually appreciate the way today's subject unfolded. I, I think I need to write about this a little bit. Because yeah, this thing, contemplating the relationship of sacrifice and the realm of love. Mm. So anyway, thanks for the conversation. Thank, thank you all for listening. Thank you everyone for joining. Thank you all the, the regulars coming in and giving your wonderful comments. Please forgive if we weren't able to get to the comments today. We were all wrapped up in the, in the conversation, but we'll continue this topic tomorrow. Thank you all so much for joining. Thank you, Madhavapuri, Sanjeevani, Radha, Shyam, Daniel Prabhu, Hari Hari Bol, everyone. I saw Ananda was there. Um, Hari Krishna, everyone. Princess Pepina Kavi, Hari Bol, Hari Bol. Thank you all so much, and we'll see you tomorrow at 6 p.m. Hari Hari. Hari.